to another episode of the Excuse Me Podcast. I am your host, Vicki Guerrero, and I'm so happy that you've joined us this week because this week is going to be a special treat. If you love any kind of toys or action figures, or if you ever got into Hot Wheels, Nickelodeon, Masters of the Universe, if you got into Pokemon, Dragon Ball Zs, or any professional wrestling action figure, you are going to get intimate with this next guest who is known as the godfather of action figurines and toy collectibles. Everyone, please welcome Jeremy Hadower. Excuse me! Hey everyone, it's Vicky Guerrero, your host of the Excuse Me podcast. And to all my fans and listeners, I have the highest accolade for my podcast this week. And I am just so honored and excited that this gentleman said yes. Can we please welcome the famous and the coolest guest ever, Mr. Jeremy Potower. How are you? I'm good. Oh my gosh. That's the, that is the best intro I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to react, but I'm honored to be here. So thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, you are the godfather of action figurines and toy collectibles. And I love toys and I love figurines, but you are just, I mean, you must be having the time of your life and the job that you do every day. Definitely. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, I will say that I've been, I've been in the action figure business for more than 20 years. And when I started, uh, collectors were sort of considered secondary. And uh, I remember in the earliest days, you know, before you have the opportunity to be an executive or even own a company, you've got to start from somewhere. And in the earliest days, I just recall, I was focused on fans from the very beginning and with He-Man and the Masters Universe and other brands like that. And it, and fans were considered like fanboys, fangirls, nerds, mm -hmm. and now they're considered mainstream. And so that's the biggest, that's the biggest change. And so for me, having been a part of the transition from toys being something that were just for kids to it being completely acceptable to be on the shelf or even played with by adults, allowing yeah. us to explore our own imaginations. I mean, what an amazing opportunity. Uh, and so it's been very fulfilling, Vicki, I'll tell you, it's been like my life's work has actually, you know, you know, if it has led even a little bit to adults feeling like they can explore that and even better invest in it and even have a <laughs> secondary market benefit. Yeah. These are all things that, um, you know, definitely lead me to a tremendous amount of, uh, of happiness and fulfillment. You know, just to fill in my uh, listeners on, on the, on your resume, so to speak, you're a <laughs> businessman, you're an internet entrepreneur. You're an animated television producer, which you're a co-creator and executive producer of animated series Monsuno. Am I saying that right? Yes, yes. Okay. You are a top, your toy business uh, was, uh, you started in Mattel when you recruited from a university. Yes. Like how, that had to have been like <laughs> such a great surprise for you that you're just in college doing your thing, studying, and then Mattel calls you and says, hey, we want you to join us. Like. How is that? <laughs> I wish. I wish that's the way it went down. I, oh. you know, here's, the way it went down was like this. And it, and it, again, it's one of those things that I try to convince people that to never stop believing in themselves and to never stop really trying and at least dedicating a little bit of time against their passions and dreams. But I, um, I was in grad school at the time 
And uh, I, I still didn't know what to do with my life. I had spent a lot of time in school, but I had also had a small business. It was in the mid 90s uh, to late 90s. And I had created a small internet business where I was faking out Yahoo. Uh, ba basically, Yahoo was a website, a search engine that had no algorithm. So if you had two A's in front of any listing, you would show up first on their search, like a phone book. Right. So I, as a little kid, loved phone books. I don't know why. I loved <laughs> searching through them. I, I was an animal. I'm not sure what the heck that was all about. But Yahoo, I was like, you know what? I think I understand how to get views. So I taught myself a little bit of HTML and coding, and I created collectible websites. Absolute Beanie Babies, Absolute Furby, Absolute That, Absolute That with two A's. And I was a student in debt. And then all of a sudden, I had 20,000 people a day coming through a network of sites because they were just good enough to get listed on Yahoo and they were all first. So because of that, I was able to go to Mattel when they came to recruit at Vanderbilt. And I was very convincing that I could be a great employee. Now they rejected me despite oh. everything. I got the big stamp that said rejected. I took the letter, I ripped it up into a thousand pieces and I don't even know Vicky, but to this day, like, like I, it's almost like one of those things that you like separate in your brain reality from fantasy. And mm -hmm. I threw it away and I called the person who headed up HR, a lady named Ramey Quick. She's probably still there and she's amazing. And I said, <laughs> hey, Ramey, I was like, I never heard back from you guys. And she's like, ah, uh, okay. She's like, I know I had rejected this kid. <laughs> and they... <laughs> And they, and about two weeks later, they called me and said, Hey, do you want to come in and talk about, uh, a, there was a, it was like in the late nineties, early two thousands, Harry Potter and a few other things. I was like, absolutely. Oh and then I, I ended up winning them over, but it's, you know, life is about persistence and trying. And even if I had never gotten into the toy industry, I know I would have been a collector and I know I would have dedicated some of my time to the pursuit of collecting, displaying, investing, whatever it may be. But yeah, that's the, that's the more complicated reality of things. <laughs> I, I love that version better than what the internet said. <laughs> <laughs> now, in 2013, you were a co-president and partner of uh, Wicked Cool Toys, yes. which uh, was later acquired by Jezwaras, uh, which is the, to the toy company that acquired you. Is that correct? Am I saying? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we so we created Wicked Cool Toys, and um, we were very, very fortunate because I had worked on Pokemon in the past, and Pokemon came and granted us the global master toy rights to, to Pokemon. Uh, right oh, my gosh. Pokemon Go, right before Pokemon Go. Now, the, the true story is a little bit more clever and interesting, um, but I, we were able to convince them that we would be an amazing global strategic partner despite our size. Because remember, we hadn't been in existence for a long time. I had gone from Mattel to being a, a very top executive at a company called Jax, uh, where I made all the right. classic superstars and all the wrestling figures of the day and did so you many made, figures. You made some of mine too. Which I, I'm did, really, I yes. did, I yes. did. And so by I'll the put way, it out there. <laughs> the most beautiful and radiant figures of all time were yours, of course. Oh, no question oh, gosh, about stop, it. They stop. barely stayed in the package. <laughs> like sometimes we'd go to the factory and the figures would have literally escaped the packaging themselves because your figures were so amazing and ready. Anyways, oh, no. So thank you. Yes, just thank, go on, go on. Yes, I'll go, go on about on. you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Pokemon granted us the global rights. Um, we had uh, we we formed a strategic alliance. The objective was very long term. 
Um, but you know, what's interesting about that is a bunch of other major brands like Halo and AEW and Coco Melon, which is one of the biggest preschool properties in the world right now, we'd acquired all these great rights. We had made really good decisions. So we realized that our growth was so phenomenal. We're the fastest growing toy company in the world that we would, we would test the waters and uh, we were acquired by a large uh, private equity firm called Allegheny Capital that had made a previous acquisition of Jazzwares. And then they combined the two organizations under the name Jazzwares. And I will tell you that, you know, it's been a amazing, uh, amazing run. We acquired another brand called Squishmallows under Kelly Toy, which Squishmallows is the largest plush property in the world right now. So we're sitting with like the biggest preschool property, the biggest plush property and AEW. I mean, come on, AEW is like this, this, this phenomenon that no one could have fully uh, expected. I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit. Yeah, of course. Now you're considered one of the top 10 koi, toy companies. Um, you know, Jeremy, what is your warehouse or do you have like one building? Are you like just located around the world because of all the products? I, I can't fathom how your enterprises, I mean, are you just locally, you know, in a certain city or do you have offices all over the world? So we do we have offices all over the world. We have 875 people now. And so um, wow. we have offices, you know, in the United States and Philly and Miami and LA and New York. We have, um, we have places in Hong Kong and France and the UK and Latin America. And just, I think there's like 14 global local offices. Uh, we have hundreds of people in China and Hong Kong. Um, we have 50 people in, in, in our London office alone. Um, it's, it's really become, uh, it's, we're positioned very well to, to contend against the very largest toy companies in the world. And, and we are in that group now and it's, it's happened so quickly. It's kind of, uh, hard to, to fully grasp because as you know, uh, you know, it's interesting. Every professional wrestler I ever meet, they're not fully aware that they are entrepreneurs and CEOs of their own business. It's like, it takes time for a professional wrestler or somebody in that space to recognize that they are truly in many ways in control of their own destiny. And mm -hmm. you can see that today, especially with like the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and some of these yeah. folks that came from uh, a world that didn't necessarily previously exist prior until there was the Indies back in the, the day and there were regionals prior to that. But like everybody that I've met is a CEO and an independent developer of their own brand and that's what we've done uh, on a on a on a product scale um and and it's been amazing it's been amazing you know so let's i want to bring up something really quick you're a toy collector yourself correct yes yes so and i've been i've been watching your ig i i love your your life is fascinating to me and i was so excited when i joined aw because i'm like oh my gosh i have to have jeremy on my show but with you being a, a toy collector you had on your instagram post yesterday or a, a couple of days ago you uh were talking about the honus uh wagner baseball collectible trading card now yes. you and so you you had some high numbers of how expensive this card was going to sell for and on good morning america it actually it stated that it sold for 6.6 6 million dollars now yes. were you part of that bidding or were you just sit on the sides watching how the auction was going to play out 
So I have some, you know, pretty heavy hitting assets in the collectible space personally, but that's not one of them. And oh. I have watched, I have, so I'll tell you the little story behind this card. So Honus Wagner, 115 years ago, was a baseball player. And he was an exceptional baseball player, but he wasn't one of the greatest baseball players of all time. He wasn't in the top 10, but he was exceptional. But interesting enough, the same issues that happened today in merchandising and licensing were relevant back in 1908, 1909. I'm sure. And Honus <laughs> Wagner, Wagner um, had a cigar company that, was, that created baseball cards and used his likeness and created something called the T206 Honus Wagner baseball card. And Honus saw the situation and said, stop the presses. This is BS. I didn't give permission to use my likeness. This Again, this is 112, 13 years ago. And so they stopped. So the company that was manufacturing his card in these cigar boxes stopped. They stopped after producing about 150 or 200 cards. And those cards immediately were collectible. So our great, great grandparents uh, and, you know, to some of the kids today, great, great, great grandparents yeah. were aware that if they got this Honus Wagner card, that it could be worth, you know, a couple dollars. Now, compared to a penny or less than a penny for a traditional card. And that was an amazing thing. So over the course of 112 years, these cards have progressed in value and a lot of them have disappeared over time. And so there's only about 30 that are known today. And this is one of the top, I would say six or seven highest graded Honus Wagner cards. And it sold for $6.6 million. And that's real. Now I wasn't involved, wow. but I'm very aware. I'm very aware of what's going on in the greater market. And I just like to shed light on it and sometimes make fun of it. And, uh, and really- And you did, you amazing. did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I made a little fun of it, <laughs> but- it's a lot of money. And by the way, the highest valued trading card is like a $30 million, $35 million card for a little piece of paper that has zero utility and no actual practical value. But that's how much we value it as a collector society or, or community. So what's the last item that you were a part of in bidding for a, an item through an auction? So I, I would say the last one that was like really material, like made waves because I, I tend to be involved in in purchasing collectibles often like I bought a few things this last month but they were smaller but the biggest thing that I bought recently and I love it and I actually think this is going to be one <laughs> I'm telling you right now this is going to be one that I'm going to be elderly and it's going to make a huge <laughs> splash and and I'm halfway to elderly so at some point I'm going to fully close the deal on elderly and it, it's going to be huge so in in um in 1997, uh, J.K. Rowling uh, was the, uh, created Harry Potter series, right? And it was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Mm -hmm. And the Harry Potter books, she was not heralded as an author. In fact, she was like really low down the totem pole. No one knew her. She was coming off of welfare, in fact. I mean, she had this giant brain and no, no one knew her. Um, wow. And so she went into the publishers and they created 500, only 500 hardback copies and 5,000 softback copies of the first edition, first print of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. So of the 500 hard copies, 300 of them went to libraries 
uh, and they were thrashed. I mean, kids took these and they stamped them and everything else. 200 went to primarily kids and most of them were red and bent and all that other stuff. And for some reason, there was this pristine copy that has floated around and I purchased it and paid $193,000 for this book. <laughs> and I will tell you, <laughs> and this book, so this book, I believe is the Holy grail of modern books. And I, even though I paid $193,000, you know, I don't do that. I respect money. I respect, I respect a hundred dollars. I'm not cheap by any mad, mad, you know, not cheap at all. But I just I respect it because I grew up in Mississippi and Tennessee. I, I did not come from money. I did not come from wealth. I, everything is self-made for me. So ha, buying this book and spending a lot of money for it, I did it because A, I love the Potter series. Love it. Yeah. And B, I believe that one day I'll sell it for $5 million. So I'm, I'm, I believe I'll get a 25 times return on this asset. So it's I'm not doing it for my health, but I do, <laughs> I, but I do love it. And, and that's the thing about collectibles. It's like you can go buy a house and there is some emotional attachment to a house for sure. And you can go buy um, equities or stocks or bonds or whatever else, but there's nothing more personal than physical objects that represent things that you love. And that's really what the entire collectible industry is all about. All right, everyone, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Gentlemen, are you performing your best during sex? Or do you walk away feeling frustrated and disappointed? Well, the Cougar has a solution just for you. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form. Blue Chew's tablets combat erectile dysfunction and help men gain confidence it's time to go. No doctor visits, it's an online prescription service and Blue Chew provides a consult with one of their licensed medical providers. It's made in the USA, prepared and shipped direct. Use promo code excuse me and receive your first month subscription for free. Enjoy! So what do the kids on your blog think of you? You must have the most incredible, coolest house on the blog. Do you get a lot, <laughs> do you, get a lot of your, you know, your kids' friends, you know, uh, coming by and just want to, they don't, they could probably care less about your family. They just want to see what's in your house. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Christmas is pretty fun when they're opening gifts around the tree. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's always been lively, you know, um, although, you know, the truth is that, you know, to, to your kids, you're always just a human being. You're not, you're not a symbol for anything. You're not, you don't represent anything bigger. All they really want is you to love them and to give them a lot of room and space as they get older. And, uh, and that's been my experience. Like I, I think they go through waves of thinking it's cool. And then occasionally a friend will say something like, I, I think I saw your dad. I saw a post from your dad or something like that. <laughs> but and it, of course, for me, there's a tremendous amount of pride because I always wanted to be known and I always wanted to be successful. And I always wanted to influence people to, to, to do the things that they love because that's the only way I was able to, to do anything. And, and so when I hear someone say something to my kid, of course I'm filled with pride, but, but what I've come to recognize is you could literally be the first astronaut on Mars 
and to your children, you are just a person who needs to give them a lot of love. And uh, but there's a ton of there's a ton of activity in my house, and and certainly uh, I, I try to I try to give my kids space. Whoop! What is that? Hold on. That was a. We, we, you might have to cut that out. I, I love it. It's my but show. I will I will keep everything keep in from in. you. Can I, just tell you, can I just tell you something? It's very interesting. I guess, you know, I, at any given time, I have like 114 websites up. I guess CNN decided to reload a story from 1974. I have no idea what that was. But I just, I literally just X'd out of a window with 214 uh, open uh, websites. But anyways, go ahead. Oh my gosh. You're, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm having a blast with you. Me too. Okay, let's talk about All Elite Wrestling, which I yes. am so honored to be part of this company, but also to be able to kind of be working with you because you do create all the figurines and action figures and and whatnot for AEW. Um, how has that journey been? I mean, did you contact Tony Khan when you saw AEW, you know, up and rising or was Tony say, Hey, I need, I need someone to help me, you know, help make my figurines. How was that relationship and how to get started? Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hustler. Okay. Uh, because no, I, because I wasn't ever really given anything and I never was entitled or expected anybody to give me anything. So I always worked really hard. And so, um, I had a lot of experience with wrestling figures. Um, and I had a lifelong love of wrestling. Um, I, I when I was a little kid, like I said, growing up in Mississippi, Tennessee in the South, when wrestling would come to town and frankly, we had Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and some of those wow. guys. But, but when, when Andy Kaufman and, you know, would come in, like whenever anybody would come into our territory, it was like the big thing. So I remember being, you know, uh, Ric Flair in the really early eighties <laughs> came into a Mississippi, the, the Coliseum in Columbus, Mississippi. And it was such a big deal. And I had my, I had my camera and I was standing right outside the, the, um, the, the curtain that opened up, I was way too close. And as soon as he came out, I hit my Polaroid camera. And again, I'm like 10 and he just like threw his hands forward and I got clipped and I fell back and I took a second picture with Ric Flair's hand like this. <laughs> and I was like, I got to somehow figure a way to get into this. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like on the floor going like, that's the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. And I've got to somehow up that. So WWE stuff in, in, at, uh, at my former employment was a blast. Uh, I made a huge contribution. In fact, it Actually, it's interesting. I'll, I'll go back to that and I'll go to AEW. So in 2002, when I took over the WWE line, it was just after the Attitude Era ended. Mm -hmm. And the toys were plummeting in terms of total sales. Because uh, oh. the Attitude Era had WCW versus WWF. The numbers were huge across the boards. And toys were treated like, the toys were treated like toys, but that was okay because the massive demand. And so there's a tremendous amount of volume. But by 2002, the competition was over um, and ratings were coming down and toy sales were plummeting. And so I sat down with Vince McMahon, I had the opportunity to, and tell him like, here are the things that I think that we can do to correct and to lift up toy sales. And this was 2003 now. And I said, but the number one thing I believe that we can do is really leverage the historical roster. And, um, and he's like, tell me more. And so- Tell me more, Jeremy. Tell me more. You know, so <laughs> we, uh, so I convinced him that doing classic superstars and leveraging the strength of the roster would actually work. 
But his one question was, well, but if I get, if, if you go out and get the rights to these characters, to these superstars, these athletes, what happens if we want to later have an alumni program? And so essentially we did a deal where I could go sign all the athletes I wanted. And then the moment that they got signed to a WWE deal, I would lose the rights to the athletes, but retain the rights to toys. And so the sales of WWE over the course of the next seven years absolutely blew up. And from a toy perspective, because we treated toys like collectibles. So that's where we start the AEW conversation. So we start the AEW conversation 10 years later in 2000 and around 19, um, after uh, I had my long seven-year run with, with WWE. And in 2019, I noticed that there was a billionaire that was, had an interest in launching a, a, a wrestling company. And I was like, okay. I was like, that's a good sign because I know that it requires a lot of capital. Like if you want to launch a relevant wrestling company, you can do it multiple ways. You can, you can scratch and claw and have a nice regional or indie thing as long as you have a unique positioning statement and your talent's good and you've got fans that come in and support you and everyone feels good about it and people are honest and transparent. But there's only one way to do it big. The way to do it big is to have real capital. And uh, when I saw it was Tony Khan and I understood that, my immediate thought was, okay, we've got the billionaire. Now, what about the broadcaster or the distribution? How good is the content going to be? And how good are the athletes going to be? Are they going to be known? Are they going to be great at what they do? And so I saw the billionaire and then I saw the, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Jericho. And I'm like, okay, you've got the billionaire. <laughs> You've got some amazing talent. So now I'm going to engage. And uh, there's, there's a couple little birdies out there that help me uh, with some contacts. And, and the biggest little birdie wants to remain anonymous. And I really wish I could give that birdie a lot of credit. Come on, it's just you and me, Jeremy. Just, it's just us right. right now. <laughs> it rhymes with. No, um, no I, I, one day I will give this person credit. I just, I just, uh, for some reason, he didn't even benefit at all from it at all, not even a dime, but just wants to remain low key. So put me in touch with uh, Nick Sobick and Chris Harrington and Dana Massey and some of the greats at, uh, at, yeah. at AEW. And, and I talked to them about, you know, the four components and the fact that two were in place. And then, and we talked about distribution and broadcast. And I was like, okay, I don't even need to see the content. I was like, let's do something. And over the course of about three months, we worked out a deal. And, um, and, then, uh, and then I saw the first show and uh, I was blown away. I, I really was. I thought, holy cow, you know, if they, can, if, they, if they really can drive this and drive the content and drive the quality of this content, this is going to be, uh, this is going to have longevity and it's going to really keep everyone in, on their toes. And and just to connect it all the way back, um, when it was WWF versus WCW, nothing had ever been that big and nothing's really been that big since from an mm -hmm. overall right. standpoint. Now, the WWE business is much bigger today than it was at that time because it's right. just a well-managed machine that drives revenue. And they mm -hmm. understand how to do that over the course of many decades. I mean, I was involved in their very early uh, summits and what they do today versus back then it's 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 night and day but it doesn't mean that they weren't vulnerable to another major player and interestingly enough because now there is an, an AEW and a WWE 
I personally believe it'll add value to everyone, including WWE. I think WWE is much bigger because of AEW and AEW's real desire to make wrestling relevant, including breaking down all the walls that you see out there with other organizations. Mm -hmm. It's just brilliantly managed. So that's how I got involved. And that's my uh, sort of like all of meandering response to get to the, the final answer. That's amazing, you know, because I have to agree with you. I was first a fan, you know, I'm sitting at home watching, you know, these AEW, you know, shows that come out. I'm like, there is something big here because, you know, I mean, they, it wasn't just like an indie show that, you know, got bigger. They went straight to the television broadcasting. And of course, my dear friends, you know, you have Cody Rhodes and Brandy and you see Chris Jericho and I'm like, they look like they're having a blast. And so this is just so incredible how y'all two have, you know, um, merged together to, to create these wonderful action figures for the, the roster of AEW. Now, how does this work? Like whenever you see like a new, you know, a, someone new come on the show and they, they just, you know, as a surprise entrant, are you already thinking or ha- do you already know that person's already going to be appearing where you're already starting the production of that superstar and they're figuring? So sometimes we have, sometimes we have more of a heads up and sometimes it's even a surprise to us. And, you know, we, we don't have a particular uh, preference. I mean, we're of service, right? The whole objective of a licensor licensee relationship is that the licensor has to respect the licensee can do a great job and we prove it over time. Right. And you continually prove it. Um, but the licensor at the end of the day owns the intellectual property. And at the end of the day, you know, a good licensor, even though they own it, even though they have 100% of the power in the relationship, it, it feels like a really nice balance. It feels like it's one team. And the way we like to work with licensors, and we're very selective. I mean, we turned out of, that's honestly, we might be pitched 100 things. We'll take one or two. And that's the truth. Wow. And so the power that we have as a licensee is that we're really good at what we do. We're really engaged. We really value the IP. We value the IP holder. And so it's a dance. And and the truth is sometimes we don't know and we don't mind not knowing um, because, you know, knowing (laughs) creates the possibility of, you know, what do they say? A secret is only held by one. Once you tell a second, it's no longer a secret. So sometimes we have to, and I respect it. Sometimes we have to kind of be, uh, uh, know when everyone else knows, but other times we do have a really good insight. You know, so I want to ask you, I'm really curious because the figurines that y'all have made so far for the AEW roster, they are so precise as far as you (laughs) capturing tattoos and the facial expressions and the clothing. How many, I mean, how many times do y'all go through different, protocols you know to try and get that right figuring you know to to reflect the superstar itself that has to be really difficult because my stick figures are amazing like I can make (laughs) some pretty good stick figures but you know you guys have the responsibility of creating this person to not only make the superstar happy but make AEW happy make your company happy and and even the public to even want to buy it I mean that's such a great you know um recipe for failure, you know, because everything's on the line, you know? So how is that, how is that work for y'all? And how many times do y'all go through those different changes and creating that that perfect, you know, figuring? You know, you're very insightful. I will tell you, Vicki, you're very insightful because when it comes to like something like Pokemon, Pikachu, Pikachu never complains, right? (laughs) 
Pikachu. <laughs> Pikachu doesn't call me. Uh, Pikachu doesn't have access to my social media. Uh, Halo, you know, Master Chief, Master Chief seven foot eight or whatever the heck he is. I've never heard from Master Chief. Uh, That's a good thing. <laughs> but, but God forbid I screw up Taz's figure. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, and no, you know, here's the truth. The truth is that there is no more passionate community than the wrestling community. The fans are, Absolutely. the fans are part of the content. I mean, the they're fans smart. are, they're, they're smart, but they're also part of the con. I mean, I, I think that it's never been more clear that how important fans are than when we had COVID and no one was in the stands. Yeah. I mean, you can't manufacture that. You can't, although AEW did a great job, a really great job. The way it was all managed was phenomenal, but the fans are part of the process. So on social media, you have fans of the athlete, you have fans of the brand, you have fans of wrestling in general, you have people that hate everything and, <laughs> yeah. and the giant mix comes together uh, with every single one of these superheroes having the ability to react and respond. I mean, it. It's a different level of uh, care that you have to take, you know? I mean, so here's the truth. I never, ever communicate perfection to anyone. I let people know that we care about Sculpt. We care about Deco. We care about the soft goods and the packaging. We want to create something that has even more value potentially in the secondary market, although that's never a promise. When we create limited editions, we don't sell them for more. We put them as a treasure hunt so that consumers can get them. And it's all the benefit is derived by the consumer. Um, we try to go deep into the roster, although it takes time because you can't launch with a deep roster. I mean, you only have so much space at retail. So it takes many, many series and several years to really get deep into it. But at the end of the day, I think that consumers get that we're super engaged and get that they that that we have their ear. And that while, you know, we're a, a large company and you, you know, large company occasionally has faults and that's where I go. I start by saying, here's how much we care. Here's the level of detail we're going to do. And by the way, we are subject to screwing stuff up, but when we screw it up, we're going to get it right because manufacturing is incredibly imperfect. It is not an absolute science, but I will tell you there's designers, there's engineers, there's sourcing people. There are people that are working on the QA on the factory floor. Um, there's people that live and breathe the process and they're doing it 24 seven wow. to make sure that what <laughs> we do uh, is of the highest standards and qualities. And um, luckily enough on AEW, I, you know, we've had the opportunity to hire people that are true fans of wrestling. And uh, I think that that also shows not perfect. That's, you know, Mr. Perfect would hate the toy industry. <laughs> nothing's perfect. <laughs> about what we do but uh but but we just try to we but honestly mr passion or mrs passion that's that's really what it requires that's amazing you know so just one more thing before we we uh let each other go um this year at all out <laughs> uh you know in chicago for uh two for 2020 are you going to be there with a new line are we going to get to see some new figurines am i going to get to meet you and and say hi to you face to face what are the plans you have for all out this year? So we will, so the pro, oh, so let me, let me just say the original intent and plans were for all of us to be there in person. Okay. Um, we, we had a bit of a blip 
in terms of COVID. And as an organization, we're reacting to it in real time. And so what we're doing is we are sending product. We're hiring people locally to set up and do all of those things and making sure that we don't uh, add to the COVID economy in a negative way. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But my personal objective and goal is to, is to be in person way more. In fact, I realize how fleeting all of these opportunities in life are. And I recognize that nothing lasts forever. So I really want to be in person. And I really, so there, uh, the future will bring definitely me into these processes in person and our team. Uh, we were there three months ago. I wasn't there, but the team was there three months ago. I was uh, uh -huh. on an international trip for the company. Um, but I always tell you this, we will definitively uh, be part of this process in person um, as, as time goes, but the product will absolutely be there. And we're working on how to get that done right now. That's amazing. Jeremy, you are such um, a, a, a talented man. And I'm, I, I love your Instagram. I love your family. You guys just, thank you. You're the epitome of just happiness and, and you're enjoying what you're doing. It looks like when you go to work, it's not even work for you because you're always smiling. And I, I consider you my friend and I cannot wait to meet you face to face and hopefully, you. um, you know, you'll be able to remake me again one day, yes. you know, for all of the wrestling, but, um, Thank you so much for being on oh, my show. Thank you. I, I, I wish you so much success and just I, I'm rooting for you because you do some amazing things and you're making an impact in the in the world of professional wrestling. And um, and we're just very we're all very fortunate to have you as part of our team. Thank you so much. I, I'll tell you, you've really uh, made my day, my week. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I I've you're uh, remarkable. Um, oh, you're not just, you. you're not just a great, um, character, uh, on television. You're a model of resilience and passion and you're, you're, you're just a role model. Uh, Thank you. and I, I just think that you, um, you mean a lot and you stand for a lot and your personal achievements are massive. So, you. you know, on behalf of fans, <laughs> you know, just want you to know uh, how much you're valued, although I'm sure you're told that often. Um, it's I'm expressing this on behalf of the people who are watching and hearing your podcast. Uh, you have an extraordinary um, ability to relate to people and you have an amazing uh, uh, a way to, um, to to live life in a way that that just lets people know anything is possible. Thank you, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. And I, I just look forward to meeting you. Have a beautiful and wonderful day. And um, I, I can't wait to share you with the world. And um, thank you thank again. You. Thank you so I, much. All right. Take care, Jeremy. Bye. Bye.